Today, and Nigel has already hinted at this, we're, we're kind of taking a break from our uh, Game of Thrones series in 2 Kings. We will pick it up again in a few weeks where we'll get back to uh, floating axe heads, blinded armies, and the sale of donkeys' heads at exorbitant prices. That's what the next chapter in 2 Kings holds, but that's for a few weeks' time. Okay, I can't wait. But this morning, I do want to talk about a really important role in church life and leadership, and about a really important process that we are now in as a church leading up to November, and also leading up to the move into our new home on the Lisburn Road, the Majestic. I've told this story before, but one day a little girl came bouncing out of junior church, out of Sunday school, and she had this huge smile on her face. And her mum asked, well, well, how did you get on today? She said, you know, it was brilliant. We learned how to heal the sick and cast out deacons. <laughs> well, we, we as a church are at a point where we need to and we want to appoint, not cast them out, a number of new deacons. And as I say, we need to do that in November, and therefore we thought it would be really good and really helpful to look again at the kind of biblical basis and criteria for this vital role, and to encourage everyone, but particularly members, to kind of intentionally, and this is the key bit, to intentionally think, pray, and consider your response to this need and this process. We have, and Nigel referred to it, we have a brilliant team of deacons here, and it has been the characteristic of this church for many years, but we need to add to that team. Now, I realize that the term deacon or the word deacon is not a particularly familiar contemporary word or word in, in our context. Unless you're part of a church or a Christian context, this is not a familiar word. But what it effectively means or refers to is one who serves, a servant. And I guess for most of us, that's what immediately comes to mind whenever you hear the word or the term. It's our initial understanding, and actually, it's the best understanding of the word. The title for this morning is Shock Absorbers and Servants, and I'll explain that rather unusual first description in a moment. But based on New Testament teaching, the role of a deacon is mainly to be a servant and to engage in kind of service-oriented ministry. But before we take a closer look at that role and explain why it's important and consider some of the characteristics of those who would serve as deacons, let me start by making a point, and it's a, it's a crucial point, and we've made it before, that in one sense, it's a very definite sense, every Christian, every follower or disciple of Jesus Christ should be a deacon. Because service, you see, lies right at the heart of New Testament community life. If local Christian communities are going to function effectively and biblically, if they're going to model something genuinely attractive and refreshingly different, then the need for members to serve one another is vital. And Jesus consistently emphasized this as he kind of spoke to his disciples and taught his disciples and anyone else who was prepared to listen. And so there is that famous occasion, it's recorded in Mark's gospel, whenever the disciples were having this huge argument about who was the greatest. 
And we read that Jesus sat them down and he sensitively but very directly said this to them. Anyone who wants to be first, anyone who wants to be the greatest must be the very last and the servant of all. And it's from that Greek word for servant, the akinos, that we get the word deacon. A little later on in Mark's gospel, actually, it's only a chapter later, the disciples are at it again. I mean, they were slow learners, the disciples. But they were jockeying for position, and two of them in particular, James and John, they asked Jesus for a prominent place in glory. They said, Jesus, we want to sit on your right and on your left in the future. Well, when the rest of the disciples heard this, they were furious. They were raging. And so Jesus had to step in and sort out the tension. And here's what he said to them. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, diakonos. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And it's in this chapter as well that Jesus then goes on to say those striking words as he applies this idea of being a servant, diakonos, to himself. For even the Son of Man, a title for himself, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That was why Jesus came. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus, as he so often does, offers the blueprint about what it means for every Christian disciple to live like this. And so in that incident, in the upper room on the night before his crucifixion, as he washes his disciples' feet, as he serves his friends right to the very end, he tells them, listen, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. You see, Jesus lived and died to serve others. And he encourages and he teaches his followers to do likewise. And so he invites all of us, every single follower of Jesus Christ, he invites all of us to do that and to challenge the kind of selfish, individualistic, me-centered culture and context that we live in and to have servant hearts, diakonos hearts that reflect his example. And so as we enter this process as a church to appoint new deacons in November, let's not forget that before we think in terms of it as a specific role in church life and leadership, there is also a very real, a very clear, a very biblical basis that every believer sat here this morning should be a deacon. It's important that we say that. So let's now, in a sense, turn to this particular rule. And the main text we're going to look at uh, is 1 Timothy 3, if you want to turn to that in your Bibles. Uh, Although, before we go there, I want to remind you when and where this rule is believed to have originated and where it started to take shape. And so, if you do have a Bible, also turn across to Acts chapter 6, a familiar passage, and we're going to read the first seven verses of Acts 6 before we go to 1 Timothy 3. And as we always do, as we often do here at Windsor, let's stand for the public reading of God's Word. I think it is on the screen, and Paul, if you can flick through the reading for me, that would be great. So this is Acts 6, the first seven verses. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the church was growing, 
The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12, the apostles, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and of wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenius and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who then prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Grab a seat. You will have noticed that the, uh, the word deacon or the term deacon doesn't actually appear in that text, or at least in our English version of that text, but the phrase, wait on tables, does. And that is a reference to one who serves. It's a reference to an attendant. It's a reference to a waiter, diakonos, where we get our word deacon. But I want us to look at what was happening in Acts chapter 6, because you see there was tension. There was tension in the church regarding the daily distribution of food, and it was, it was threatening, this tension was threatening to create all kinds of problems and division. And the original 12 disciples were getting pulled into this situation, and they were concerned, but they were deeply concerned. But one of the main reasons for their concern related to their responsibility to pray and teach the Word of God. They passionately believed that these two things, prayer and the teaching of God's Word, were their primary focus. And therefore, they believed they needed to appoint or delegate others to handle this pressing issue of food distribution. Now, it's not that this issue was below them. Or it's not that they didn't think this was important. It clearly was important. It's why they're addressing it. This is just a matter of priorities and responsibility. And so they gathered the rest of the disciples. And as, as it says in this text, the church had been growing massively. So there were hundreds of these disciples. So they gathered them all together. And they said, listen, what we want you to do, we want you to choose, we want you to appoint seven men who are full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and we want you to appoint them to carry out this specific duty, this service-oriented ministry. And so as a community, as a congregation, they do that. And that's significant to note that it's the congregation who do this, is what, which is what we practice here at Windsor. It's the congregation who choose deacons. And seven are chosen, including Stephen, to kind of serve as prototypes or precursors to the eventual role of deacon in the local church. And so this is the reason for that term, shock absorbers. Because you see, those early versions of deacons were appointed to alleviate tension, to serve the community and to restore unity. And it is that ability to absorb strain 
and deal with potentially tense situation that remains a key task of deacons today. Another definition of shock absorbers are those that help make journeys more comfortable. That's what our deacons do. They make this journey that we're on together more comfortable by serving. By serving you, by serving me, by serving God. But before we, we do jump over to 1 Timothy 3, let me, let me make a few more comments just on Acts 6 about what was going on there. You see, the first is that as this church was growing, it clearly needed structure. It clearly needed structures put in place to facilitate and enhance further growth. And that just makes sense. It did way back then. It still does today. You see, if a community, if a body, if a church like this is going to function well, then it needs structure. It needs organization. It needs people who are set apart and set in place to do certain things. That's the way it was right back at the beginning, still the way it is today. That's why we have deacons. Secondly, although these seven and what they were seen to be doing, they were kind of seen as very, very practical, very hands-on, very administrative, very physical. Here they were giving out food. But the character and the spiritual help of these people, it was of utmost importance. They were to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They were to be filled with wisdom, and they, were ne they needed to be known to be full of the Holy Spirit and known to be full of wisdom. Their reputations had to go before them. Their integrity and their heart condition was important. And those values still stand today as we're about to see. And the third thing is the impact of this decision had eternal significance. Because as we read there in verse 7, so as a result of the church setting aside people to serve in this way, the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. As these prototype deacons carried out their tasks, the apostles were released to carry out theirs. And as a result of everyone working together and serving together, the church grew. Different people focused on different tasks in the same family serving the same God for the same reason can lead to positive development. It's got eternal significance. And then just one final comment on Acts 6, and this is just by the way, and please don't let this detail put you off. But what we also discover via this text is that the first Christian martyr was a deacon. Don't know if you ever thought about this before. Okay. Stephen was not an apostle. Stephen was one of the seven appointed to wait on tables. So this is serious. Okay, 1 Timothy 3. Jump over to that for me. Because that's where the actual term and the title and the role of deacon becomes more explicit. Now, I know deacons are also mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament, like Philippians chapter 1, for example, as Paul writes to and addresses the elders and the deacons in that particular church. But it's here in Paul's first letter to his young protege, Timothy, where it seems to become, as I say, more explicit. And Paul begins 1 Timothy 3 by talking about overseers or elders, the kind of primary spiritual leaders of a congregation. 
And after he sets out the criteria for those men, he then turns his attention to the deacons. And look at verse 8 for me if you have a copy of God's Word in front of you. 1 Timothy 3, verse 8, because it says, in the same way, deacons. And so this flows. And then what you have got is this very vivid description of the kind of person that you're looking for to serve as a deacon. The kind of servant that is required to fulfill this crucial role in the life and the health of a church. And as we as a church family, and as I say, particularly those who are members, look at this again. Please be prayerfully considering who you might approach. Who you might approach and ask, would they be willing to serve in this role at Windsor? And also, as we look at this again, could I also encourage you who are members to consider your willingness to be approached and to serve. This is an important time for us as a local church. This is an important leadership, servant leadership role that we are looking to fulfill. So please, can I encourage you to engage with this carefully. So what does Paul say? Well, let's listen in. This is verses 8 to 13, and I know it's warm in here this morning, so let's stand again for the public reading of God's word and keep you with me. So this is 1 Timothy 3, starting at verse 8. In the same way, oh no, there we go. In the same way, deacons, so this flows from his teaching on elders. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith or the mysteries of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Jesus Christ. Grab a seat. So here's the thing. As you read that, or as you listen to that, here's the danger. Here's the danger. The danger is that lots of us immediately count ourselves out. Before we go any further, as you listen to that, as you hear that, as you engage that, lots of us sitting here this morning, I'll guarantee you, immediately count ourselves out. Because this sounds daunting. This sounds intimidating. And so as you listen to this biblical criteria, there's very few of us, I would suggest, would say, do you know something? I tick all those boxes all the time. Very few of us would rush to the front this morning and say, hey, count me in. But rather than rule ourselves out, let's recognize it's not about us. It's not about us on our own. It's about who we are by the grace of God and community. So important we get this. It's who we are by the grace of God in community. This is how we can live as Christians. This is how we should live with God's help. And the truth is that although many of us shy away from this list or aspects of it and would never think we match up or come anywhere close, 
There are others around us who recognize and affirm these qualities in us, and we need to hear that, and we need to accept that. It should be our intention to be this kind of person, these kind of people. And therefore, we look to and we rely on God in this pursuit. It's not about us. We look to and we rely on God in this pursuit, as well as being willing to listen to others along the way. So what does Paul say? What are the type of people we're looking for here? Well, first of all, Paul homes in on character. And if you just glance up at the first part of 1 Timothy 3, you'll see that the similarities between the list of qualities for elders and deacons is striking. There's massive overlap. But a deacon, a deacon should be someone of or with a good character. And Paul goes on to clarify what that means as he identifies four key features of a person with good character. He says, first of all, do you know something? You should be worthy of respect. Again, going back to that idea, you need to have a good reputation. As people look on, as people observe you, they see something, they see someone worth admiring. Secondly, they should be sincere, says Paul. Or in other translations, it'll say they should not be double-tongued. In other words, their speech matters. What they say counts. How they speak counts. Got to be sincere people. Thirdly, they should not be free with a bottle. They should not indulge in much wine. It doesn't say they should be teetotal, but they should not indulge in much wine. They need to have self-control around and with alcohol. Fourthly, they should not pursue dishonest gain. Their attitude to money, how they handle money and wealth and possessions, again, it's really important. You see, the character of a deacon really, really does matter. And as Paul speaks about their character, he then, he then kind of moves on to their belief system or their doctrinal commitment. And he says this, he says, listen, they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. And so what are those deep truths of the faith? Or in, again, in another time, what are those mysteries of the faith? Well, they're primarily found in God's word. And therefore, a deacon must be someone with a passionate commitment to and love for Scripture. There's got to be evidence of a tangible desire to let God's Word shape and influence their lives and their choices and their hopes and their perspectives and their understanding, their actions and their attitudes. What a deacon believes does count. And what a deacon believes has got to be based on and earthed in God's Word and God's teaching and God's values and God's standards. It's got to constantly, God's word has got to constantly be molding and shaping the life of a deacon. And that's what it effectively means to have a clear conscience. In other words, what you believe and what you read and what you engage with, you actually live it out. You don't just say and believe one thing and then do another, but you do it with a clear conscience. This actually does make a difference in how I walk this out 24-7. Deacon must hold on to God's breathed out revelation with sincere and, in a sense, strong conviction. 
And then Paul says this. They must first be tested. And then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. And that's scary, isn't it? But it emphasizes how important this is. And I really want to stress how important this is. But this emphasizes how important it is. There's got to be some level of scrutiny and accountability. So that a local church can assess the character and assess the beliefs of any potential candidates. And here at Windsor, one of the ways that we try to adhere to that requirement is by recommending that anyone to be considered as a deacon must have been in membership for a minimum of two years. Now, that's not us trying to add rules or create obstacles or restrict the process. That is simply one way for us of giving the local church, the wider body, the opportunity to discern the suitability of a person by observing their input, their service, their character, their expression of belief over a period of time. But Paul says, listen, someone is suggested to serve. They need to be tested. And if there's nothing against them, let them serve. And then we come to verse 11 which depending on your translation and your understanding, reads differently. Some of you have got distracted by this all along until we get to this point. You're going to be really disappointed, okay? But in the version that I read, it says, in the same way the women are to be worthy of respect. In another translation, it says, in the same way their wives, deacons' wives, are to be worthy of respect. Or in another translation, it says, in the same way the women who are deacons are to be worthy of respect. Discuss. I'm not going to dive into this in detail, but you need to know, and this is all you need to know at this stage anyway, you need to know that this church's understanding and position on, the, on that verse and these texts leads us to believe that women like Phoebe in Romans 16 can serve as deacons. And therefore, the role at Windsor is not restricted to men only. End of comment. Move on quick. But that, that, that's, what, that's what we believe. That's where we stand on this issue. And the final area then that Paul, and that's what we believe Paul is saying here. The final area that Paul draws attention to then is family life. There's got to be faithfulness in family. There's got to be stability in family life, in marriage and in parenting. Now, that does not mean you've got to be married or you've got to have kids to be a deacon. Of course, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that if you're married and if you have kids, then your reflection of the biblical values around marriage and parenting are very important. And so there you have this biblical criteria for deacons around these three issues, their character, their beliefs, their family life. It's an important role. You see, leadership in any church is important. We, we know that. Servant leadership is vital. Leadership in any church is important. Servant leadership is vital. And I hope and pray that is the kind of leadership that is modeled here at Windsor. Walter Wright, writing about this in his book, Relational Leadership, says, Servant leadership is about a relationship with God that so shapes who we are that people see us, see in us a person of character and commitment whose influence they choose to follow. people see in us a person of character, a person of commitment to what we believe, 
And others look around and say, there, there's an influence I'm going to choose to follow. And so as we enter these next couple of months of careful, prayerful consideration, can I urge all of us to take this on board, particularly those in membership, although if you are a committed friend of this church, I invite you to pray with us, I invite you to pray for us. But members, members, please do think about who you might approach and ask to stand. And if someone approaches you, someone approaches you, please don't be too quick to give them an answer. Go away. Pray about it. Talk to others before you decide to stand or not. Now, I know I haven't said anything about what a deacon is specifically asked to do at Windsor. I've mentioned this comment before. Milton Jones says, sometimes people think of church as like a giant helicopter. They don't want to get too close in case they get sucked into the rotas. <laughs> Love that. Love him. Let me, let me be up front. Deacons do get sucked into rotas, okay? That's just the way it is. But you know why I haven't explained or described what deacons do in Windsor? Well, it's because at one level, it's irrelevant. Why? Because whether that means setting up and taking down, whether it means looking after the finances or welcoming people, taking care of buildings, attending meetings, making decisions, typing up minutes, counting money, serving communion, or waiting on tables, the real issue is not what we do. The real issue is a willingness to serve. And so may God help us as we, as a church family, seek to identify and appoint more servant leaders in November. And we need four or five more deacons. But back to Acts 6. Why? It's so that the word of God would spread and that Christ's church would grow because surely that is our ultimate desire. We're not in this for us. It's not about Windsor Baptist. This is about God's glory. This is about the increase of his kingdom. May it be so, Lord. Amen.